Good morning. My name is Pastor Carlos, and I serve as president at Divine Savior Ministries. It's my privilege to share God's word with you here in Santa Rita Ranch. On Sunday, I will be there in Austin. Uh, today, I'm still in my office here in Miami. The words for our sermon this morning come from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and we'll be referring to the text throughout our sermon. Question. When and how do children learn the concept of fairness? Now, as I was going through this parable, this question was prompted in my mind because I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And while they're pretty good kids, as you can imagine, this concept of fairness is a very prominent one in my household. If one gets something from the dollar store, you better have two more bucks in your pocket or be prepared to hear, that's not fair. And this principle applies to just about everything. There better be three icy pops. There better be three cookies. Uh, even the fact of who has to take a bath first can quickly turn into a matter of fairness. Now, how did they learn this concept? Did I or, or my wife Julia teach them this? I mean, I know I've said to them, life's not fair. But that's usually in response to one of their cries for justice. So how did they learn about things being fair? Oh, I don't know. And we don't need to actually learn the answer to that question for purposes of this sermon. Maybe one of our early childhood teachers can enlighten me after the service. Uh, but what I do know is that this is not a new concept. See, apparently it's hardwired in us because if you look back at our parable, which was written some 2,000 years ago, we see the same concern being raised. It's not fair. But this morning, as we spend some time together in God's Word, we're going to learn something that I think is super impactful when applied to our everyday lives. It's the understanding that God is not fair. He's gracious. So let's get into our text from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. We read, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. Now, just to provide a little context, a denarius in biblical times was the equivalent of payment for one day's wage. Uh, so if you figure a 10-hour day at our minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, we're talking about $72.50. Nobody's getting rich on this deal, uh, but it's a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. The text continues, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Notice, no deals, no terms expressed this time. The text continues, he went out again about noon. And about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. 
He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. Now, I'm not sure if this happens in Austin, uh, but I can very easily picture this scene. You see, in Miami, there's always a group of men, day laborers, if you will, just standing outside of Home Depot looking for work. Well, this would have been that crowd. And, and this landowner just keeps throwing them in the back of the pickup truck. Finally, we read, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. And th this isn't hard to imagine, right? These guys are doing the math. If those guys are getting a denarius and they only work just a few hours, we're about to get paid. But then we see their bubble burst. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Let me, let me just translate that. That's not fair. But he answered one of them, Am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, as we begin to discuss what this means, let's start by just identifying who the main characters are. Uh, and this is really a rather simple parable. The landowner is Jesus our God and our Savior. And the workers, they represent each of us, God's people here on earth. And, and there's a lot to unpack in these Bible verses, but, but let's start with a general concept that is shown in this parable. And it's the idea that God's idea of fairness is not ours. And I think this is something we all struggle with uh, from time to time. You know, even as we grow old, we often still have that inner child screaming inside of us, that's not fair. Why did he get that promotion? When we all know I work twice as hard. I can't believe I got a speeding ticket. There was literally people passing me on the interstate. That just doesn't seem fair. Or God... I try to do everything right. I go to church every Sunday. I give an offering. I'm a faithful husband. And that guy living down the street, he doesn't check any of those boxes. And he has twice the car I do and three times the home. That's not fair, God. Well, that logic works 
if God was truly all about fairness as we understand it. But thank God he isn't. I mean, let's just be perfectly clear and establish something up front. We don't want a fair God. As a matter of fact, that would be a very, very bad thing for us. You see, a fair God would see us and, and more importantly, would judge us for exactly who we are. Poor, lost, wretched sinners who deserve nothing more than a one-way ticket straight to hell. Praise God, he's not fair. He's gracious and generous, as we read in our parable. And this shouldn't be hard to see in our lives, right? His grace and his generosity is the reason why I'd be willing to bet that none of us here have ever really truly experienced a day of hunger in our lives. His generosity is the reason why we might stand in a closet full of clothes on Sunday morning and say, Honey, I have nothing to wear for church. His generosity is why we sit here in perfect health in the midst of a global pandemic. And I'm just talking about the earthly stuff. Because even if you strip that all away, even if we lost everything to include our health, it's the reason why all of us here this morning could confidently say with our final breath, heaven is my home. It was his graciousness. It was his generosity that sent his perfect son to die on the cross to make us his perfect and redeemed children. If you think about it, our entire salvation is based on the most unfair act in history. Jesus' perfect blood shed for us poor sinners. God is not fair, thankfully. He's gracious. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, when, when we truly understand this, it changes everything. It, it puts us in another lane as we, as we drive through life. Now, rather than thinking we deserve something, or, or like the men in our parable, rather than having certain expectations of God, remember in verse 10, they expected to receive more. We realize that everything we have is already a gift of his grace. You know, rather than seeing our relationship with God like some type of contractual agreement, okay, God, I'll work this hard and you bless me this much. We now see every opportunity to serve him as a privilege, as an honor, as an expression of our gratitude and our thanks for his graciousness. You know, we just can't wait to run in those fields to, to think about this parable and serve our Lord. And trust me, it's just so much more fun and so much more fulfilling to work and serve that way. And this is an especially fitting concept for this group 
to understand. You see, if we reference back to our parable, you're the 6 a.m. hires. You're the first men and women in the field. Many of you watching this help put together the furniture on this campus. And what a privilege that is. But, but don't think for a minute that the devil won't try and use this to gain a foothold here. Now, trust me, it won't be long before someone has a concern about uh, the temperature in their room or their office. And, and Lisa, our admissions director, will be thinking, please, I've literally tested people in the parking lot in June. Or, or someone will say, this church doesn't have this, or this church doesn't have that. And you'll roll your eyes as you think back to the days behind Smokey Moe's. Or you'll hear, the internet is too slow. And you'll think, at least we have it. You know, there'll be a teacher who will want more information about what's going to happen next, and... and Lauren Hoppy will be thinking to herself, give me a break. When I came here, I didn't even know what grades I was teaching. And believe me, this list will only grow. You're the 6 a.m. hires. And while that is a tremendous privilege and can be really fun, all the dangers listed in our parable are right there in front of you. The temptation to think that somehow that makes you more entitled or that your voice should be louder because, uh, after all, you've been here since day one. That, like the men in our parable, you expect more. That somehow, you know, God owes you a bigger platform. You know, G.I. Joe, and, and I know I'm dating myself with this reference, G.I. Joe used to say knowing is half the battle. Well, well now you know. And so my encouragement to you is to not fall in the trap seen in our parable. Not to become entitled or envious of others who, who haven't borne the heat of the day like you. And if we're honest, like, like you will continue to do. No, don't look for fairness. But rather live in God's grace. And having this unique perspective of the 6 a.m. hires a perspective that no other group will ever have. Create a culture here of workers who just can't wait to run into those fields because far from being owed something, you feel privileged to serve our good, gracious, and generous God. And I want to end that way. Now, how gracious is our God? And just think about what's happening right now. This whole thing started as a phone call. Some three and a half years ago, we had never heard of Santa Rita Ranch. I had never met Edna Elizabeth Horn or, or Pastor Apt or, or Robert and Karen Timmerman or, or Bill and Patty Starkey or, or any of you. The first time I came to, to Santa Rita Ranch, this was just a field and a prayer. Well, look where we sit today. Praise God. Thanks to 
your prayers, your generous support, and Elizabeth's land, the more than a million dollars in God's money that we brought as an offering to the Lord and to this ministry, we're about to change lives with the gospel. This ministry will be a beacon of Christ's love in our community. And together, as Ed has said many times, we're going to impact generations to come. And we get to be the 6 a.m. hires. How gracious is our God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may guard your hearts and minds and keep you close to our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.